What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the pod, the Yak Show. Today is Friday, June 10th, 2022. Coming back at you from Bartlett, Illinois, back home, summertime. We'll talk about my little hiatus that I took. I'm back. A little bit of personal news where I was the last few weeks. Obviously, school kind of got the best of me at the end of the semester there. But now we're starting. I kind of want to talk about my experience that I went through the past couple weeks. So I'm going to start the show with that. Then we're going to talk baseball, a lot of baseball talk, a lot of Cubs talk, a couple managerial firings across Major League Baseball, kind of do a little beginning of June standings update. Uh, From there, the NBA, NBA Finals are currently going on. Game four is tonight. On top of some Bulls talk, and the NBA draft is less than two weeks away. And lastly, game five of the Eastern Conference Finals in the NHL was last night. We already have a winner of the West. So can the Lightning close out in Game 6 upcoming this weekend? And we'll dive into all of that on this installment of The Ock Show, which starts right now. Let's dive right in. Welcome, everyone, to the installment. We are back. It is Friday. Happy Friday, everyone. A big upcoming weekend. At least here in the Midwest, summer is finally starting to take a turn weather-wise, so that is something to be very, very excited about. <clears throat> but baseball, man, it's been everything with baseball lately. Now, I said in the intro that I was going to talk about, obviously, I kind of mentioned what's been going on in the last couple months, but most importantly, what's been going on in the last couple weeks in my life. Um, through school, I was able to go out west to California from Wednesday the 25th until Last Saturday is when I flew back home, and I got to travel throughout the state of California and check out and attend ball games in four of the five Major League Baseball stadiums in the state of California. It was the experience of a lifetime. I was with a great group of people, so that was also that was awesome. You know, being with a group of people who were just as excited to be on the trip in the state of California, checking out games, just be as excited about that as I was. So that was pretty cool. And I was a little nervous going on it. I mean, I've never been out to California, you know. This was a trip, you know. I didn't know any of these people before the trip, really, except for one person. And it was just the experience of a lifetime, and I wouldn't change it for anything. I had a blast, and it was so much fun getting to know new people, getting to try new things, getting to be in new situations, experience a new area. And so I basically, I stayed... Three nights in San Diego to start the trip. Then we went four nights to... We stayed in Huntington Beach, but it was, like, supposed to serve as our Los Angeles time. So we would drive into... We would we had a van. We would drive into Los Angeles and check that out. And then we spent the last three nights of our trip in the Bay Area in San Francisco. So I guess we'll start off with San Diego. We flew in Wednesday, 25th. And in the morning, got there, dropped our bags off where we were staying. And I was instantly in, in Petco Park. For a uh, for a afternoon getaway game, Padres Brewers. It it my buddy who I was with, he looks at me and he goes, "This doesn't almost, this doesn't feel real that we're here right now." Because let me tell you, for a little background, at Petco Park. I, I'm trying to get all 30 major league stadiums in my lifetime. <clears throat> and Petco Park, Petco Park is so beautiful, and I've always seen it on TV. I've just I, as a fan, you know, you see it's it's kind of like right now for me. The new one for this is Fenway. I always want to go to Fenway Park. The stadium is so beautiful, man. And just walking around it, 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 maybe because it was in the day. I'm more of a night baseball guy myself. I like going to night games. I try to get to as many night games as possible. It just didn't feel real that I was there. You know, I got to watch you Darvish throw for the Padres. He threw really well. They lost 2-1. to one. But it wasn't even, I, I wasn't even really, I was paying attention to the game, but I was more importantly just taking everything in. You know, that morning I woke up in, you know, my home here in Bartlett. And all of a sudden, you know, in the matter of six hours, I'm, sitting in the right field seats at Petco Park watching you Darvish throw a gem of a ball game for the San Diego Padres. That's crazy how much things can change in the span of just a few hours. And I was just taking it all in. Petco's so beautiful. The city of San Diego is so beautiful. And I would it's one of the cities I, I would totally go back without a doubt in my mind. I would a hundred percent visit again. There's so much to do down there. I'll even talk I mean, the baseball was cool, but I even got to do cool stuff in my off days that I don't think I would have done normally. Um, so, yeah, Wednesday we went to the Padres game, kind of got situated. 
Thursday, I spent the entire day at the San Diego Zoo. Now, let me tell you, for those of you who don't know me too well, I, I, animals are cool or whatever. I'm not normally a huge zoo goer. You know, as a kid growing up in the Chicago suburbs, I went to Brookfield Zoo, Lincoln Park Zoo. I was like, oh, cool, whatever. You know, not too big. I can see why people call it the San Diego Zoo the most beautiful zoo in the, in the entire country. It was breathtaking being there. It is so it is such a massive zoo. There was so much to do walking around. You know, I, I felt like a kid again there. You know, seeing all these animals. It was just so cool. It was a very... Very cool experience that otherwise I don't think I normally would have done. Uh, and then Friday, we had we went to a night game, Padres. Padres was the only, San Diego was the only city, or the only team, Padres were the only team that we went to two home games for. So that was really cool. Uh, so during the day, we went to the Naval Ship Museum. It was like airplane, naval ship, or whatever, the Marine, whatever it was called, the Midway. And that was also super cool. You know, it's something I normally wouldn't do. If I wasn't in that setting. So just being able to experience different things. I mean, even it was more than just the baseball. The baseball was obviously awesome. It was probably my favorite part of the trip. But even like these little things like going to the zoo, going to museums, you know, that was awesome as well. And then seeing Petco under the lights that night, you know, Luca Voigt hit a big three run homer for them against the Pirates. Just this uh, cool game, cool experience. And San Diego was just awesome. Could not say enough good things about it. From there, we went to, we stayed in Huntington Beach, but it was considered our LA time. I got there on Saturday on a train. We just kind of hung out. Got ourselves familiar with the area Saturday night, laid it low. And then Sunday afternoon, we were inserted into another getaway game at Angel Stadium to see the Angels play the Blue Jays. Whole lot of star power. Vladimir or Vlad Jr. was not in the lineup for the Jays, sadly, but you know, still saw the likes of Bo Bichette, uh, Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Taylor Ward from the Angels, uh, uh, Jose Barrios threw for the Jays, Patrick Sandoval threw for the Angels. You know, it was just super cool. 11-10 game, Jays won. It was a high-scoring game. Got to see Shohei Otani hit two homers, which was awesome. So, you know, super cool. And I saw Bo Bichette homer. It, it, the Angel Stadium is such an underrated ballpark out there in California. I think it's because, you know, you have the likes of Petco, Dodger Stadium, and Oracle Park, which is for the Giants. That I mean, yeah, the Angel Stadium, it, compared to those three, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty average. But it, it, there's just something about it. The rocks out in the outfield, super cool to see. We were in the right field seats, which was awesome. And you know, even got to move around the stadium a little bit. Angel Stadium is very underrated, I think, in the grand scheme of things for Major League Baseball. So that was a good game to go to. That was cool to see. And then literally next next night, we are inserted to, on Memorial Day, we are at Dodger Stadium watching the, pot, the Pirates play the Dodgers. And I got to see my favorite player in the entire league, Walker Buehler, take the mound for the Dodgers. Granted, he didn't have the best of starts. But, you know, watching him, I got to walk around Chavez Ravine, watch him throw a warm-up in the left field bullpen. You know, super surreal. I had chills, you know, just, just being out there. You know, I was there in my Walker Bueller jersey. I think being, the, the so I talked about how Petco, you know, the first time being there, you know, you look around like, oh, this doesn't feel real. Being at Dodger Stadium, that was that was the this doesn't feel real, it doesn't feel like I'm here type of moment. It's not even that. I think I, overall, I, I think Petco is actually better in my eyes. Not No hit up. They're better for different reasons. Petco is more... Just overall, general, multi-purpose, super cool, a lot of, just, just super modernized. But the one thing I love about Dodger Stadium is just, it's so classic. It's so, it's just the history that goes behind it. So being there and watching that was, it's like, wow, I'm really at Dodger Stadium right now. Watching Mookie Betts, who hit a homer in the game I was there. Freddie Freeman, uh, Trey Turner, you know, watching Walker Bueller on the mound. And it's super cool feeling. And that was one. Of, that was probably the moment of the trip, Monday night Memorial Day. It's like, oh, this doesn't feel real. I didn't even. I didn't even think we we're gonna see Walker. I. I did the. We were supposed to go Tuesday night on the Julio Urias bobblehead night when Julio Urias threw, which I would have been totally cool with as well. As we were getting on the trip, and then I found out in San Diego, oh, we're going Monday instead because Tuesday. I'll talk about Tuesday in a minute. But we had something else planned for Tuesday, so I was like, oh, cool. You know, I brought the jersey because I was gonna bring the jersey. I was gonna wear the jersey of the game whether he was gonna be pitching or not. So then all of a sudden be like, oh, I get to see my favorite player in the league throw. You know, that's a super cool thing. Flash, fast forward Tuesday um, was probably from what I want to do. Obviously, I'm doing this podcast. I write blogs and I'll, I'll go check it out. Look it up. Look up the change, change up chronicles on Blogspot. I wrote articles for this trip that I was on and I'm going to get more consistent over the summer. Similar to this podcast with the blog. Obviously, I'm doing all this because this is what I want to do for a living, go into this uh, sports media field. So Tuesday afternoon, we had the pleasure of meeting up um, at a park by Dodger Stadium, and we did a picnic lunch with Fox National Baseball writer Pedro Mora. That was also, on top of going to the stadiums, 
I think in terms of what I came, what my mission was on this trip was to get more of a feel of what this field is. Having the meeting, having the lunch with Pedro, getting to ask him a couple questions was everything. It meant everything to me. You know, we talked to him. He used to be a beat writer for the Dodgers and Angels, so I asked him, what do you like better? What's the pros and cons of, you know, being a beat writer for one team versus writing nationally? And obviously, being a beat writer, there's more stress. You have more deadlines to meet nationally. You don't have that. But as a beat writer, you know, you get to know the teams more on a personal level. You develop more personal relationships that go just beyond, you know, the interviews and the media and stuff. So there's, you know, there's good and there's pros and cons to both of them, which was super cool. And just getting to talk and listen to him talk. He wrote a book that I'm going to order off Amazon that I need to read. I'm getting into reading a lot more lately, too. And I guess I'll kind of talk about that. I'll kind of make a book club book club segment on this podcast it's a little something i do before i go to bed every night now i'm starting to read and i'll talk about at the end of the show what book i'm currently reading and what i've learned but that's also that's a book that's on my list now that i need to i need to go read just because of how awesome you know he talks about the 2020 dodgers and this empire that dodgers have built granted i know i'm not the biggest dodger fan in the world but just getting to read a piece from someone who's doing something that i would love to do for my life is just something super cool so from there, uh, Wednesday, we flew to San Francisco for our final stop in the Bay, and we just kind of had a relaxing day on Wednesday once again. The travel days were just kind of like settled in. If we want to go check out the area, get ourselves familiar with what we're surrounded by. Um, I'll even talk about the food, too, in a minute. The food was awesome. Um, Thursday, uh, me and the guys I was uh, living with, we went down to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, which I think is like the thing to do when you're down there, obviously, other than like sightsee and check out the bridge. The wharf was awesome. So many shops down there. Just a lot of stuff to do. They have a lot of cool ice cream spots. I didn't hit any of those, but just walking around and seeing a lot of it is a great, great spot to just kind of walk around and be touristy like we were. And then Friday during the day, we uh, just kind of hung out, wrote our articles, and then we went to the Coliseum for a Friday night matchup between the Red Sox and the A's. Got to see Nasty Nate Ovaldi throw for the Sox. Xander Bogarts went yard at a big Red Sox win. Uh, I say this with all due respect to Oakland. The stadium is definitely a little run down for sure. But I, I took a different spin on it. I know some of the people that I was around was like, man, this place is, you know, not like what the others had been and all that stuff. And I, I, I decided to take out of it. You know, this stadium probably won't be around much longer in major league baseball, the Coliseum. And there's a lot of great things that have happened there, you know, championships, like, you know, the greats like Ricky Henderson, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco have played there. Championships have been won there. Uh, the Moneyball Oakland A's of Billy Bean in the early 2000s played there. So I try to put myself in that lens of look at who's played here. You know, I've been to the same place that all of these things have happened. And like I said, I'm trying to cross out all ballparks. So, hey, I was able to hit the Coliseum before it shuts down. Because if we're being honest, folks, it'll probably be done in a couple years. You know, the the Oakland's lost everything. They've lost the Raiders. They've lost uh, the Warriors. And I even walked right by Oracle. On my way out, because for those of you who don't know, the Oracle Arena, the old Warriors Arena, is literally right next door to the Coliseum. And it's just really a shame. I feel bad. When I was at the Oakland A's game, no one was there. I feel like the city, I mean, granted, I know the ownership front office, they basically sold the entire franchise this offseason. So there really isn't much, many fan favorite players out on the field right now, simply because all of those guys have been dealt. But I just feel bad. The city of Oakland, like, just doesn't, isn't around, behind this team right now in its entirety. And you could tell by the attendance, I think half the stadium was filled up. But I'm like, oh, this isn't a location problem because I look right across the street. And when the, when the Warriors were at Oracle, when they were in their, in their, you know, their prime, they were selling that place out every night. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, there's talks about them just making a new stadium right off the river, which I think would be super cool. There's also talks of cities like Las Vegas and Portland being in on the athletics. And I think that's also a strong possibility. So, but nonetheless, I got to see the Coliseum. Super blessed to see that before it goes on its way out just because of all the great players and great moments and events that have happened in its entirety. The food, man. Oh, man, the food was incredible. Um, I tried In-N-Out Burger for the first time out in California. I will say the burger, absolute gas. Burger was fantastic. The fries, like how everyone else has told me beforehand, yeah, at best they're slightly average. I don't really think they're any good. You need to salt them up before you eat them. I'll tell you that for sure. Um, what else did I have in San Fran? I tried to hit up my favorite spots while I was out there. Ballpark food was good too. I had Dodge, I had a Dodger dog. I had two Dodger dogs, and those were great. Um, 
Other than that, I don't really think I had any like super signature ballpark food. One thing that did surprise me at Petco the second night I was there is I had a slice of pizza. And being a Midwestern kid, I'm used to being in, you know, the Chicago pizza, Chicago style pizza. And even the pizza around me here is fantastic. And unless you're in the East Coast or you're in the Midwest, you know, you um you don't have high hopes for pizza. It's just straight up as it is. And I had a slice of the pizza, the ballpark in it. I maybe granted I went in with lower expectations. I came out super thrilled. I was like, this is fantastic. This is great. So that was good. And out burger. Um, the spot to hit when I was in San Fran, or actually I'll say San Diego, this is a place called Lucky's. Shout out Lucky's. That place was outstanding. It was a breakfast slash lunch spot. I went there twice while I was there. That's how much I liked it. First time I got like the pancake platter with eggs and sausage links, and those were great. And then I went there with my buddy on the travel day when we took the train to LA just to get a quick bite for breakfast, and I got their breakfast sandwich. Came with a set of hash browns, and the sandwich on a bagel was huge. So that place was a good bang for your buck because obviously food's expensive out there, and that was great. Um, when we were in LA, I can't really think. We mainly just did like normal play, like like typical places. Like I think we hit Wingstop one night. I hit like Starbucks one day for lunch. You know, we had two like days of ballpark food. Um, you know, in LA we had we just did like we went to Whole Foods and got like the I got like the deli there. So I don't really think I did anything out there like over the ordinary. Oh, also in San Diego, had Kansas City Barbecue, which was the place where that one scene was shot in the original Top Gun movie. I have not seen Top Gun. I've not seen Top Gun Maverick, so I can't really, you know, talk on that too much. But it was still really cool, really good food. Um, why am I blanking on where we ate in LA? You know what? I wrote a trip recap and I'll find that right now. While I find LA, I will talk about my place that I liked in San Francisco. I mean, we went to this place three times because it was right by our hotel. Uh, it was called Super Duper Burger. And I had Super Duper, I had the burger once and then I was kind of burgered out for the trip. I had obviously in and out a couple times. I had that burger and then I had a burger at a stadium. So I was like, you know what? I'm done. Um, so then I got there. I got a grilled chicken sandwich while I was there. They had this like grilled chicken sandwich thing and it was fantastic. It was so good. I had it twice. That's how much I liked it. All right. So now we're, we got LA. What, where did we get? What did we? Yeah. So Wingstop one night, Dodger dogs. I didn't write down dinner for this night and that was it. We were only there. Oh, and then in and out for two nights. So, yeah, I really didn't have anything special out in L.A. Yeah, because I had in and out the first night and the last night, and then Wingstop, and then Dodger Dogs. So, yeah, I really didn't have anything special out in Los Angeles. And then, yeah, that one, the one place. And another place we had, we had this, me and two of the guys I was with, uh, the day of our flight out home on Saturday, we had a Mel's Diner in San Fran, which was fantastic. They, The two guys I was with got smash burgers, and those looked really good with traditional milkshakes. And they came out like... You'd get your milkshake, and then it was like one of those old school type places where they bring out the remains in the silver cup that they made the milkshake in, which was cool. I got the breakfast. I got a breakfast sandwich on sourdough. I didn't get it on a bagel. I got it on sourdough, and that was also fantastic. So, yes, those places uh, headed in and out. You know, hit up uh, Lucky's, Mel's Diner, and Super Duper Burger. Those were the places that I liked the best while I was out there. And yeah, the trip was outstanding. I want to thank everyone who's, who made it possible for me to go on it and everyone that was on the trip. It was a trip of a lifetime, you know, getting to see all the stadiums, getting to do things I wouldn't normally do, like going to a zoo, going to a museum, you know, going down to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, all those type of things. Oh, in L.A., how did I forget this? Right after we met Pedro Mora, I got to go down and see some of the stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That was also super cool. So getting to experience that, getting to try new food places that I wouldn't else otherwise wouldn't have the chance to get here. Overall, just the experience of a lifetime. And I thought I'd share that with everyone, kind of like an update in my life because it was a huge, it's a huge part. It was a huge week and a half of my life in terms of my future career endeavors. You know, it's probably one of the biggest jump starts ever for me. You know, it kind of reshifted my focus and that was a super cool thing for me. So yes, thoroughly enjoyed going out there do not regret going for a minute it was a no regrets it was awesome super awesome experience with that being said let's shift into some major league baseball talk while on the talk of baseball 
We have a couple manage within the last week, a couple managerial firings. The the Joes, Joe Girardi and Joe Madden. Girardi was let go by the Phillies. He is relieved of his duties by interim manager Rob Thompson. And Joe Madden, amidst a 14-game losing streak for the Angels. Well, it was at 11. It was at 12 when they fired him. They lost two more without him. Has been relieved in Los Angeles for the Angels as well. And is currently relieved of his duties by interim manager Phil Nevin. Now, the Angels actually snapped a 14-game losing streak last night. And he went over the Red Sox. Shohei Otani threw seven innings and looked fantastic. Angels hopefully are back on track. It was a tough fall for them. It was not too long ago where they were up in their division, and now they're, I think, like 10 games back now, which of the, in second place, yeah, nine games back of Houston. They're three games under that losing streak tanked. They were well above 500 before the losing streak. Also, Mike Trout was slumping. He was like 0 for 25, and now he's not, his leg's not 100%. So not a lot of good things going right for them out in Anaheim. The Phillies, on the other hand, have had much better success since the firing of Joe Girardi. They are on a seven-game winning streak currently, and they are one game under five hundred. Um, partially thanks to a couple collapsed games from the Angels that Philadelphia was able to take over. I know the Mets are currently six and a half up in that division, and they're thirty-eight and twenty-one. But I think Philly, if they can turn around at the right time, they can really make a run for one of the three wildcard spots. Expanded playoffs are are going to really help teams like them. I, I promise you that. And one other managerial thing that kind of made me shake my head. This happened yesterday. White Sox-Dodgers in Chicago. Tony La Russa intentionally walks Trey Turner on a 1-2 count just for the following batter, Max Muncy, to go deep on a 2-2 count to give L.A. the lead. What are you doing, Tony? I was texting White Sox fans and even non-White Sox fans. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I think... So currently, the White Sox, as we sit right now, they are 26 and 29, three games under. I, yeah, they're hurt. I get they're hurt. They haven't had Lance Lynn all year. And I, I I was on a trip, and when I was on the trip, I had a White Sox fan with me, and he would tell me, oh, you know, we're out Aloy Jimenez. Aloy never is healthy. I, I think White Sox fans need to realize that. He's, the dude's never healthy. So you can't even be like, oh, man, we really need him back. Well, you don't even, nobody really knows what they're like with him. Yeah, I mean, he's a great hitter, he rakes. But with his inconsistencies in the lineup, it's like he's never there anyways. Yeah, Lance Lynn being out is, is huge. I, I totally understand that. They did DFA Dallas Keuchel, which helps their cause a lot. And Johnny Cueto's gotten a lot of chances now. He signed a minor league deal in the first couple weeks into the season with the White Sox. And they're just in a rough patch right now. And, and can you make the argument that Tony La is holding this team back? I mean, I think you can. You know, it's one, it's crazy. I think I think you can make that argument. And don't get me wrong, not a huge White Sox guy. Obviously, I'm a North Sider till I die. But I think for the sake of all the talent on that roster, as all baseball fans out there, got to hope that something's Tony's either got to lay off the gas a little and just let his guys go. Because I honestly, I this team's talented. There's talent on this White Sox roster. I get they're a tad injured right now. That happens though. The game is you deal with injuries. They're way too hurt right now. But they're way too good to have this poor of a record at this point in the season. It's June, man. We're a week. We're over. A, we're like a week and a half into June. We are a week and a half into June, and you're telling me they're three games under and in third place, two games in behind a Cleveland Guardian team who's in second, and then they're five out of Minnesota who's in first. Not discrediting Minnesota. Cleveland's picked it up as of late. They're playing good ball. Minnesota's played great ball all season. But you know the White Sox, talent wise, are the best team in this division, and they're just currently not playing like it, which is a shame. Let's shift to the Cubs. I got a lot to talk about here. And then at the end, we'll talk about, you know, where everyone sits in divisions right now. So, Cubs are in the Bronx this weekend, starting tonight at 6.05. Wade Miley makes his return from injury. He throws against Luis Severino tonight. Tomorrow, Matt Swarmer, who we're going to talk about here in just a minute, will take the ball in Yankee Stadium against Jordan Montgomery, who's been very good this year. And then finally, the Cubs have yet to name a starter for Sunday's getaway game on Sunday afternoon. And Jamison Tyone, who's been throwing the ball real well for the Yanks, will start. I mean, everyone's been throwing the ball real well for the Yanks, other than Garrett Cole the other night, giving up three straight homers to start the game to the Twins. I mean, other than that, you know, they got Cole, Severino, Montgomery, Tyone. Just, I mean, we're just throwing the ball real well for them. They're 41-16. They're the best team in baseball. You know, they're really getting after it. 
Obviously, this will be Anthony Rizzo's first game against games against his former team. It's in the Bronx. Honestly, I'm I'm saying this. Thank God it's in the Bronx. If it was in Chicago, I, I would be a mess this weekend emotionally. People always, you know, I see on Twitter, you know, Cubs every once in a while, the Cubs accounts I follow post, oh, Anthony Rizzo hits his whatever home run of the season, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, get over it, get over it. You know, not with the team anymore. And I get that narrative for sure. But they're still going to be our guys. I think people got to understand that. They did something that hasn't been done for this city in over 100 years. So you got to understand where we're coming from. You know, we grew such a strong personal attachment to these guys. You know, we're talking Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Kyle Schwarber, Chris Bryant, etc. So, of course, we're going to at least follow what they're doing. I, every once in a, every week or so, I check, you know, the stats offensively of Kyle, Chris, Anthony, and Javi. You know, it's been tough for Chris. You know, he's been hurt all season. He hasn't hit a homer yet. He's been on the aisle two different times. And I guess I'll get into this conversation now before we continue more talk about the current Cubs. I don't think, I don't think it was an awful decision looking at how they're playing so far for the Cubs to let certain guys go. I'll tell you what, I love Javi to death. But the dude can't hit a lick this season. Like, he is struggling at the plate. I think the dude, as I checked last night, I'm loading it right now. Yeah, he's hitting 200 on the nose. He's got three homers, 15 RBIs, one stolen base. His OPS is a 544. I'm taking the OPS statistic very seriously now. I'm starting to value that a lot more. I know, obviously, uh, wins above replacement is huge, too. But for more of a basic statistic, wins above replacement is starting to become... It's starting to become basic, but it once started as more of an advanced statistic. OPS is a basic statistic that I'm starting to put more into account on base plus slugging because that means a lot more to me as well. But an OPS for me in terms of I, I could be totally off on this. There could be a stat nerd out there who completely bashes me for this 700 to 750. If you're above that, 700, we'll say 700. If you're above 700, you're, you're doing you're all right. You're chilling. Other than that, I mean, how has he got a 544? I kind of looked it up. I was like, all right, well, you know what? What is an OPS that we're looking for? And in some sites like, oh, over 700, oh, over 750. I'm just saying over 700. Hitting numbers are down this year in general. You know, the average, the, the league batting average is down to like 230-something. So I'm giving the players the benefit of the doubt. If you're hitting, a, your OPS is over a 700, you're doing all right in my book. 544 is not even close to that mark. So yes, Javi's struggling extremely bad. For the Yanks, Riz, uh, I believe he's hitting like 220 right now, which from, okay, a batting average perspective, yeah, it's below league average. But you look at every other statistic that he has, and he's killing it, man. He's got 14 bombs, 39 RBIs. His OPS is an 802, which even if we're looking at you know, oh, what's a what should you be? What, what's the line that you should be over if you want to be considered to have a good on base plus slugging percentage? Even if it's over 750, he's still crushing it. So, other than his average, which I'm not gonna lie, it's pretty low for Anthony. He normally doesn't hit that low in terms of an average perspective. Dude's got 14 tanks and his OPS is above 800. I mean, you can't really complain with that, and he's doing his job there. And you know, he's he's an aging left-handed bat who. His back isn't getting any better. I think mean, you got to realize that too. So I want to see if any lineups have been posted for tonight. No, we have nothing. But it'll be Severino and Miley tonight. Like I said, Swarmer and um, Montgomery tomorrow. And then the Cubs have yet to name a Sunday starter against Jameson Tyone. Let's talk about some of these uh, young Cubs that are really killing it both in the show and in the minors. Chris Morrell, man. He's the guy. He is... On a 20-game on-base streak to start his career, the dude is awesome. And he was our 21st-ranked prospect. I remember I've had people ask me, oh, what do you think of this guy? You know, because I, I love, I mean, as a guy who's, our team is in the dumps right now, guys, let's admit it. I scour the prospect rankings. And I had a buddy reach out to me, hey, you know, what do you think of this guy? This was before he hit the show. I think Morale was like, yeah, he's been our 21st-ranked prospect for a couple years now. And you look at his build, he's, it, I don't think he weighs 145, but he's listed at it. He's 5'11", 145 pounds, age 22. I go, hey, he's kind of a string bean. I don't think he's got much pop. I know he's versatile. He plays good defense, and he puts the ball in play. But other than that, man, I got nothing on this guy. I could see him fizzling out of the system pretty quickly. Man, I was wrong. Through 84 at-bats in his career, the 22-year-old utility man, he's currently hitting 298, outstanding. He's got three bombs, including a leadoff home run the first pitch of the game in Baltimore on Tuesday, which was electric. He's got 10 RBIs. He swiped six bags, and his OPS is a 905, man. I mean, I get, yeah, it's the beginning of a career. You know, we got to kind of like wait for it to play out, blah, 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 blah. Just enjoy it right now, man. Just, just enjoy it. He's playing great baseball, and it's fun to watch. You know, we're a team that's struggling. We're going to be dealing guys at the deadline. We probably are going to be moving on from our last major 
star-studded piece from that 2016 core. Let us enjoy a kid who was ranked in a pretty, I think our system's pretty loaded. A little biased here, but I think we have a pretty loaded farm system in Chicago. The kid who was ranked outside of our top 20, he's coming in here and he's, uh, we found a leadoff man. He could play everywhere. You want to play middle infield? Perfect. He could play the hot corner. He could play all three outfield positions. The dude could play six different spots on the field, which with how our future team projects from terms of prospects and money available, it's we need a guy like him. He can hit leadoff. The dude can play. He's got a spot in this lineup if he plays like this every day. There's no doubt about it. So I'm honestly, I'm totally here for it. And I can't wait to see what he does in a big stadium against the best team in baseball this weekend. Now we mentioned these two, or I mentioned one of them earlier. I'll mention another one now. Let's talk about some young arms. You know, the system does not produce young arms. And I was uh, watching some show. I was on Twitter. Caleb Killian made his debut last Sunday for the Cubs in game two of a doubleheader against the Cardinals. Just a spot start. He's back down in Iowa now. But this was the most anticipated prospect debut of an arm since Mark Pryor, however long ago that was. And that's totally crazy to me. You look at him currently in Iowa. He's 2-0 across nine starts. He's got a 2.06 area, 1.27 whip, and nine starts outstanding the dude is great in his entire and his entire minor league career 34 games started he's got a 208 era a 9 and 4 record and a 0.94 whip the guy is outstanding he's got the length too he's 6'4 180 he's got the projectability that we love you know he came up um against the cardinals in that game a uh he threw five innings struck out six Gave up a few runs. There was a wild pitch in there. He just had a hairy fourth inning. Outside of the fourth inning, the dude was outstanding. And I can't wait for him to come up for good, whether it's around the call-up time this year, whether it's at the deadline, you know, when we deal, hopefully we deal like starting pitchers with the likes of Wade Miley and we need another spot in the rotation. But he's been great in the minors, and I can't wait to see. I'm hoping by next season, I'm hoping, I know by next season he'll have a full-time spot in this rotation. Speaking of which, we have a guy here. And Matt Swarmer, who's getting the ball tomorrow. So, hey, we should probably get to know this guy a little. Matt Swarmer's outstanding. Not even in our top 30. The dude, he's only made two starts. But in his two starts, he's got a 1.5 ERA, a .83 whip, and 12 innings pitched, 11 strikeouts. He's been outstanding. He throws the ball super funky, too, which I love. He's been great. He's put together a couple six, two quality starts in his career, two six-inning starts. He was a 19th-round pick back in 2016. Dude's 28, so yeah, he's at that age. I say we just ride this dude out. We're not making the playoffs. We're not contending. We're 10 games under right now, and this is the time you experiment. And I'm going to kind of connect that to something. Love Jason Hayward to death. Not really. He's been a waste of a contract. It's just starting to get to the point now where we're not a bad team with no out young outfielders that need at-bats and need time. We're not in that stage anymore. That was last year. We have guys that are losing at bats to Jason Hayward because, oh, we're paying him $25 million and he has to play. Screw that. Cut him. Let him go. I know Ricketts, your pockets, it's going to hurt to pay this guy to leave. But when you have a guy like Clint Frazier on the roster who is starving for at bats after having a freak appendicitis thing, totally like out of the blue, he's at 37 at bats this season. He has not been hurt that long. He's been on this roster way longer than he's been hurt. You're not even giving Clint a chance, and it hurts. I want to see Clint Frazier. I don't want to see Jason Hayward hitting in the eight hole every night. I want to see Clint Frazier roam the outfield, let him get some at-bats. The dude was a former top prospect. How are we? The Yankees never gave him a chance. He was always up and down between AAA and Iowa, or AAA, AAA, Wilkes Scranton, and the Yankees. How are we any different right now? The only difference is he's not going to Iowa. He's staying on the roster as a fourth outfielder, and he's never playing. How is that any different? The guy deserves an opportunity. Dude's 27 years old. Give him an opportunity. We're 10 games under. We're not going to be doing anything this season. So why are we wasting at-bats and wasting time on an outfielder who's hitting 210? I get that we're paying him so much money. I totally understand that. But there's guys. Brendan Davis, we're going to talk about him too. He probably won't be ready this season, but he's going to be ready next year. And Jason's still under contract next year. What are you going to do next year? You're going to deny your top prospect at-bats? I don't think so. And why am I why am I upset about this right now? Well, when Brennan's up next year, Ian Happ will hopefully still be here. He's going to start. If our infield is all of a sudden crowded, if we sign a free agent shortstop, Christopher Morel might need to play the outfield as well. And we have Seiya. On top of that, then there's Brennan. Okay, not even. Okay, not even. Happ's out there. We'll have Seiya. 
we're going to need Brennan to play the outfield, man. What are you going to do? Tell Brennan Davis no because you need to get Jason Hayward as a bats because you're paying him a lot of money. I get that. Just let him go. There might even be room in the outfield for Morrell next season. You may have to play him at third. Or short or wherever. And I'll talk about the infield right now. Super disappointed. I, the dude, This guy is still injured. Nick Madrigal has not been it at all. He got hurt. I get he had a stint on the IL. I still think he's playing injured. A guy's currently hitting 214 across 103 at-bats. He's got OPS of 500. He hasn't done anything for this team. He came into this season with a career batting average like a 310. He's down to 291. When your career batting average drops 20 points in less than two months, that raises concern. I think he's still playing injured, and I think with all the depth we have on this team, Nico Horner's been outstanding this year. We have Andrelton Simmons, a middle infielder on the big league roster. We have Christopher Morell up here. I think it's in everyone's best interest to send Nick Madrigal down to Iowa for a month. Mark 30 days on the calendar. Let him go out there and play second base and hit leadoff or hit two or wherever you want to hit him in Iowa every day. While he's down there, he can get healthier, and he can get more at-bats, and he can try and find a swing again. I'm serious. Because I know Cody Hoyer was just as big of a trade chip in this Craig Kimbrell deal, and we already won the trade. Kimbrell was nothing for the White Sox, and he's gone now. And I'm excited to see what Cody Hoyer can do next year. But let's not give up on this guy. If you are if you are serious about Nick Madrigal being a future part of this team for this for this Cubs team, you send him back down to Iowa for a month. Let him let him get healthier. Let him find his swing. That is the best, way, in my opinion, the best way. Don't worry, we have guys up in the bigs who can fill that spot. We have Christopher Moreau. We have Andrelton Simmons. We're paying a couple and a half million bucks to to play for this team. We're not winning. We might as well play Simmons every day at second base. We could play Morel every day at second base. We have options. Let's use them. Let's try to make our team better in the long run. Because we're not doing anything this year, that's for sure. Talk about disappointments. Marcus Stroman has not been it for us uh, this season. And it's super disappointing. I was excited. I know Stroman has been maybe slightly overhyped in his career. He's currently 2-5. and five Through, I believe he has started... Yeah, nine games. So he's gotten the decision in seven of the nine starts. He's thrown 47 innings. He's got a 1-2-3 whip, which is good. His ERA is a 5-3-2 with 45 strikeouts. Um, yeah, we're paying him $25 bucks, and I think the goal was for him to throw well, and whether our team is contending or not, by deadline next season, with a year and a half left of control, ship him off for some talent. I don't think we're able to do that right now. So this season's kind of a wash for Stroman. I mean, he's got time to pick it up and bounce it around, but have not been super impressed with his efforts so far. And then we have one more guy in the bigs, two more guys in the bigs. I want to talk about two more prospects. Keegan Thompson, a uh, dude's been outstanding this year up until this past uh, outing that he had with Baltimore. He went three innings, gave up seven runs on five hits. His season ERA went from a .99 to a 3.17. So he's currently through five starts, 13 appearances. So he's, so he's made eight appearances out of the pen and five starts. He's 6-1 and one with a 3.17 ERA, 39 Ks over 48 innings, and he's got a 1-1-4 whip. Uh, Keegan Thompson's an outstanding arm. And I have an unpopular opinion on him that a lot of people don't like, but I, I, I always say this about him. He is most effective and most dominant, and he's most productive and useful when he's in our bullpen. In the long run as well. And I'll tell you why. We have starting arms coming up through the system. Caleb Killian. Heck, Matt Swarmer might be a guy now. We have Jordan Wicks. DJ Hers is down in South Bend, absolutely shoving. Justin Steele's on the big league roster currently, who I'd rather have start. Keegan Thompson's dynamite in the bullpen. I'll tell you why. I always call him. He's a Swiss Army knife. Oh, hey, we need a guy to set up. We need a guy to throw the eighth inning to set up our closer. Keegan's got that stuff. He's got the stuff of a late inning reliever. Oh, crap. Alec Mills could only go three innings today. Keegan, we need you to go out and, and throw three innings to eat up some innings and keep us in this ballgame. He could do both of those things. And that is so dominant. And he's got the stuff of a relief pitcher as well. I don't think he's got the stuff of a starter. He has the makeup of a dominant Swiss Army knife in a Playoff bullpen. Playoff bullpens love guys like Keegan Thompson. And I get, like, we're not in that stage right now. He's an SEC guy. He knows the gauntlet. Uh, he played in the best college baseball conference in, in the country. He is destined for the bullpen in the long run. I love Keegan Thompson. I really, really do. But I just don't think in the long run he's going to start games for this team when it matters. And that's not an insult to him. I just think he is way more dominant out of our bullpen. I've always thought that about King Thompson. Ask anyone I talk to about Cubs baseball. That's how I feel about him. So we'll see what happens. I get this season's kind of a throwaway, but if he's still with us when we're making stretch runs where it counts, he better be 
being a dude out of our pen, and I will not be ashamed if that's the case. Couple prospect talk, uh, one good, one bad. Pete Crow Armstrong is having an outstanding season in the minor leagues. He has already gotten a promotion here to to South Bend from Myrtle Beach. He hit in Myrtle Beach in 38 games, 158 at bats. He hit 354 with seven home runs, 27 RBIs, with 13 stolen bags. He's kind of He's got a couple homers now in high A through 34 at-bats. sitting 206. I'll give him time to adjust. I don't think he can ever go back to low A anymore to play for Myrtle Beach. I think he's just got to figure it out at South Bend. He hasn't even had 40 at-bats there yet, so we can't really dock him too much. I love Pete Crow Armstrong. I love everything about him. He was the piece we got in the hobby trade with the Mets, which makes it even better last year. We won that trade high and far. Javi played half a season for them. Mets didn't even play a playoff game. He left. We have our center fielder for the future waiting right now in, in high A, and I think he'll be up probably by 2024. And I'm just so pumped, you know, seeing guys really make strides. Uh, Christian Hernandez, another guy, he's in rookie ball. First pitch of his, the rookie league that he was in, dude went yard at Mesa. You know, it's awesome. I'm seeing videos. Owen Casey's really starting to turn a corner in high A. He went two for three the other day. Um, Kevin O'Contra's having great games for Myrtle Beach. Nelson Velasquez made his debut a couple weeks ago, and now he's he hit two nukes in Iowa in a game the other day. So it's good to see these prospects really starting to gain some traction for us. You know, it's good to see DJ Hurd has been outstanding this year. It's really starting to come along. We have the seventh pick in next month's draft. I honestly think at this point, if there's not an arm out there, we just literally go best position player available. We just got to build the crop. You can never have enough of anything because once stuff runs out, you have trade chips to go get yourself big league talent to win a championship. We've seen it time and time again. That's how it works. And I'm just super pumped for this farm system right now. They've performed very well this year. Now, one, one little sour note on the farm. Uh, Brennan Davis, our top prospect, who was supposed to be ready to go probably around this time, if not maybe next month. Currently, he just went under went underwent back surgery. So if I'm being honest, if we need to play it on the safe side, I'm probably counting Brennan out for the entire season. I don't think we see him in Chicago until next year. And I don't even know if he'll make the opening day roster. Just simply out of caution. And they need to get, I want him back at full speed. Because when I when he's up, he is staying up. I don't want him having to go back down. So I'd rather wait an extra month or two for him to figure it out and be ready to go. Because when he's up in Chicago, he should never have to play a game in Iowa ever again unless it's for like a rehab assignment or something. So prayers up to Brennan. Hope he gets better from that back surgery soon. And then he'll be ready to play in Wrigley Field hopefully next season. Now, a little more of a sour note for a current player. The Cubs avoided arbitration with Wilson Contreras yesterday, agreed to a one-year deal worth just south of $10 million in the 9.6 range with no talks on an extension. I think the writing's on the door, man. I think he's gone. I think he's a goner at the deadline, which is just brutal. I think we all kind of knew it, but we just didn't want to admit it. I was like, oh, we can extend this guy. I really do think he'd be a great leader for this next wave of young Cubs prospects to you know break the squad and in this next young wave of uh, of the core. I mean, he's a 30-year-old catcher, and I, I don't know. It's just tough. We better, I'm all I'm saying, we better get the haul of a lifetime for him at the trade deadline if we're moving him. But if not, man, obviously I'm still holding out hope he comes back, but it's looking worse and worse by the day. So that's a little bit of a sour note to end the Cubs talk on. Let's move on to the National Basketball Association. Uh, game three of the NBA Finals was a couple nights ago. I believe game four is tonight. I could be wrong. Um, if I'm being honest, I've only watched game one of this series. I mean, I, I've like watched highlights and stuff, but in the moment, yes, game four is tonight. I was in the Bay last Thursday in San Francisco, so I hit up a sports bar just to get some bar food, some some chicken tenders and stuff with the dudes I was with, and we we uh, we watched game one. Environment was awesome. I mean, I felt bad that they, the Warriors blew the lead because ever the vibes in there just went bad but um it's obviously a 2-1 series in favor of the Celts it's gone back and forth so if game one in, in uh, Golden State went to the Celtics game two in Golden State went to the Warriors and then game one on Wednesday went to Boston so game two to, or game four tonight you know Steph Curry's got that weak ankle because uh, of Al Horford falling on it was it no it was Rob Williams I believe it was Al Horford or Robert Williams fell on it so that'll be something to look out for. Clay Thompson also has to heat up as well. I don't know where we stand right now. You know, people ask me. This is truly a coin flip of a series. Coming in, I was like, oh, 
I'm a little more biased toward offense because in basketball I love watching offense, but I know defense wins championships. Boston has more than a defensive caliber, uh, championship caliber defense, and and Golden State can shoot the lights out of a stadium. I don't know because right now you know oh Boston's up in the series. I mean yeah, this is it. I I, I think if Boston wins this game tonight at home, they win the series. They're not. This team is too good to blow a three-one lead. But if Golden State wins tonight, I mean, dude, anything's possible. Then all of a sudden, you know, series becomes a best of three. And, you know, at that point, when it's a best of three, all bets are on the table. So I'm um, really excited to see how this thing really folds out. I'm um, just interested, man. Basketball is kind of okay again. So to put it in that perspective. So game four tonight. And I believe game five is then next Monday. Yeah, on Monday. So, who knows, man. By the next time we air, we'll either be airing the day of game six or the series could be over. So, it'll be really interesting to check out. Let's talk some Bulls here. Um, we got some big man talk. The Bulls are reportedly both in on Rudy Gobert and Mitchell Robinson. Ah, uh, food. I don't know how to feel about this. Because some of the packages I'm seeing for Gobert, I'm not a fan of. I don't think we're in on DeAndre Aiden. I don't think we'll get him. And I don't really want him. I think that's going to be too much of an ask. I mean, if we can get... Well, obviously, Levine's got to come back. We'll talk about that in a minute. We have to be able to get, if we're trading, we have to be able to get a Gobert without moving Patrick Williams or Ayo DeSumo. I know that's like, oh, dude, that, it's not possible. Ah, trust me, with a dude on that big of a contract, you don't, you're not going to get as much as you think with how much Rudy's owed over the next couple of years. I think he, he overhits $40 million by the time the next couple of seasons roll around. What type of guys do I want to give up? Well, sadly, I hate doing this because we don't have a lot of it, but draft capital is going to come into play. Uh, guys like Nuke Vucevic and Kobe White. Derek Jones and a part of the signing trade as well. They're gonna He's going to have to get signed to a new team, and that'll be a part of the trade. I hate moving draft picks, and then I hope with every bone in my body that we keep the 18th pick in a couple weeks. Next week, we'll... I've decided next week we'll do more of the mock draft. We'll talk about the prospects and stuff. We need to keep that pick, and I'll tell you why. I... I normally follow the draft prospects pretty closely. I watched a lot of college hoops toward the stretch of the season. This is a deep draft. This is one of the deepest drafts I've seen in quite a while. There's going to be some good prospects with good upside that can really contribute to a team that is trying to contend now. And I'll drop a couple names. Mark Williams, after the tournament, will not be available, but he's obviously still hope. Same thing with Ochak Baji. Would love him as well. A couple prospects that are starting to grow on me, though. Tari Eason from Louisiana State. Love his game. I think he can project to a real nice role player for us. He's a big body. We need big bodies on this roster. So a guy like him. I don't really like Nikola Djokovic or Jovic or whatever from uh, Europe, but he's obviously on the table as well. And Marjan Bochamp, the G League winger, is really growing on me as well. So there's guys we can roll with here. So with everything they can do, I mean, I obviously understand if it's what you need to do, you need to do to get move the pick. But I just ask that they really try to hold on to the pick this year. Because because of how poorly we finished the season, we got out of the twenties. We're into the teens with our picks. You know, we're we're picking in the teens. You know, there's a chance you get a key role player there. So scouting is done right. I like what we have. This is a draft. I know we got Iowa in the second round last year. I really wish we had a second round pick in this draft. That would be huge. But nonetheless, um, if it's too much of an asking price for Gobert, I say you just sign Mitchell Robinson. I once again, it's a guy who you could. He's got a lot of untapped potential that you could really dig into. I'm all right with that as well. Uh, and I'll add on to that. I saw this today. Um, Vooch, I don't know how reliable the source is, but I saw a tweet that according to Nik- Nikola Vucevic's camp, he believes he's staying. So does that mean then, I would be really intrigued to see how a Nick Vucevic and Mitchell Robinson front court would work on this team. Or would Robinson be like the highest paid backup center in the history of this league and just come off the bench? I don't really know how that would work. But still, having a guy like him would be huge come stretch time, seeing a lineup of those guys play. Um, I don't know at this point. If he believes he's staying, then I don't know what we're going to do. We need to get big man depth. So at that point, then bring in Mitchell. If Vooch believes he's staying and we're not making a deal, they better sign Mitchell Robinson. It, you got to get him at that point. And then lastly, the talk of Zach Levine. Is he staying? Is he going? I've played out the scenarios. Originally thought he was going. Now I think he's staying. Sign, I'm okay with the sign. I mean, we, we the, the worst thing that can happen is he walks for nothing, which won't. There's three scenarios. He either stays, he goes for nothing, or he goes in a sign and trade. As long as he doesn't go for nothing, I'm honestly okay with whatever. At this point, I love Zach. He's great, and I know it's going to be hard to replace at 26 points per game, but you can't make a guy stay. And as long as we get a somewhat okay return on him in a sign and trade with a team like the Spurs or the Knicks or whatever, Portland, sure, he can go. 
That's fine. We're just going to have adapt, have to adapt and go. But I would really like Zach to be back in a Bulls uniform next season. So we'll talk drop mock draft next week. And any further Bull developments will be on the show next week as well. Finally, the NHL. We have a Western Conference final champ. The Colorado Avalanche have swept the Oilers. So they will be in the finals. And game five of Lightning and Rangers was last night. And all of a sudden, after the Rangers took a 2-0 series lead at home, the Lightning have won three in a row setting up a Game 6 in Tampa in which they can clinch a spot to their third straight Stanley Cup final in an attempt to three-peat and become the next hockey dynasty, the first team to win three championships in a row since the Islanders in the 80s, and the first hockey dynasty since the likes of the Penguins and the Blackhawks in the 2010s. Um, Yeah, I mean, the Lightning are good, man. They got, you know, they got their, they got Stamkos, obviously. You know, Vasilevsky's dynamite in 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 the cage. And even for the Rangers, they got Igor as well. So the no matter who the Avalanche draw, and the Avalanche are a great team, I think the Avalanche are going to win the Cup no matter who they draw, but they're going to have a tough task in, in between the pipes. You know, Igor or Vasilevsky are both very good goaltenders. So, And lastly, I saw this on Twitter last night. I've seen a lot of it roaming around. The potential of the Blackhawks trading Alex to Brinkett, and it makes sense, man. He's a, 40, he's a two-time 40-goal scorer in a season. If he was on a better team in, in, in a – and honestly, just a, in a market that's buzzing with hockey a little more than Chicago is right now, he'd be more of a, his brand would grow a little more and he'd be more of a face of the league. All I ask is if we deal star players like a DeBrinket, like a Levine, like a Contreras across Chicago, we need to get the right packages for him to make it well worth it. It's heartbreaking. You know, look who we've lost as Chicago sports fans over the past season. We lost Duncan Keith last summer. We lost Rizzo, Javi, Bryant. We lost... Khalil Mack this past offseason you know we're losing players so it's just a tough time to be a fan you know you just got to stick through it and you know you know brighter days are ahead as a Chicago sports fan we've been through the drill too many times so we'll see how that shapes out uh down the stretch as well and game six of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Lightning and the Rangers will take place tomorrow night from Tampa with giving the Lightning a chance to clinch a spot in the Stanley Cup final so tune into that as well well, thank you all for tuning into the show today. We talked a lot. You know, the trip I went on, baseball talk, Cubs are in the Bronx this weekend. Game four of the NBA Finals is tonight. Game six of the Easter Conference Finals in the NHL playoffs is tomorrow night. So there's a lot of good sports to be had this weekend. Make sure to tune in. It's only going to keep getting better from here for the NHL and the NBA. And baseball, I'm just going to keep hunting through these dog days of summer. Thank you all for tuning in, and I will see you all next week. Peace.